Hi, I'm Gordon Lamp here, and welcome to the Real Finds Podcast, the podcast series where we interview key entrepreneurs, scientists, and activists who are shaping the commercial real estate industry, and as a result, our world. In today's podcast, we'll be speaking with Jeremy Goodrich. Jeremy is founder of Shine Insurance Agency and host of the Managing Commercial Real Estate Risk Podcast. On the podcast, we chat about risk, how risk influences our decision-making, the evolution of the insurance industry, and data-driven methods to get more out of your commercial real estate asset. It's well worth a listen. Jeremy, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Gordon, it's a pleasure. Really excited to chat with you and with your community about risk management and how we can really make great decisions in our real estate world. Well, first, before we start talking about risk, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I started my adult career as an elementary school teacher in third and fourth grade. I did that for 13 years. And then my wife and business partner and I decided that we wanted to take a leap. She was working at her dad's insurance agency. I was an elementary school teacher. And we decided to start our own insurance agency called Shine Insurance with the goal of changing the way people feel about insurance. <laughs> Not sure how much of that we've done in the last 10 years, but we've certainly intended to do so. Right from the beginning, I focused on real estate. So it started with teaching first-time home buyers how to buy a house. And obviously, I didn't know every answer. So I went to realtors, I went to lenders, I went to appraisers and you know, title companies and everyone else. And I asked them about their part of the closing process. And I posted all of that on YouTube, um, which got a lot of followers. Our, our channel is now the largest independent insurance agency channel on YouTube. Um, and I evolved from teaching first-time home buyers about buying property to teaching folks how to buy residential investment properties. And I've now evolved from that. And in the last few years, all I talk about for the most part is commercial real estate, all the different asset classes and markets associated with that. Um, so I've really kind of grown in the real estate world through the the lens of risk management and insurance. So... Congratulations once again. I mean, you have a fantastic podcast and a fantastic YouTube channel on insurance. And for anybody who uh, might be interested at all in the insurance game or risk at all, uh, please check out Jeremy's podcast, check out his YouTube channel. It's fantastic. And I know we'll talk about it at the end. But what I wanted to first talk about is kind of there's a lot of misconceptions about insurance. And I was wondering, um, you know, on the podcast, What's the biggest misconception that you've talked about? You know, I think that the thing that we start with is insurance is just a tool. It's a tool to get to an end. We've got to understand risk management as a whole. And risk management is the act of limiting the risks that we can't control or that we don't know about, increasing the ones that we do know about and making sure that we make good decisions about them. There's three types of risk. One is uh, risks you don't know anything about. Two is risks you know something about um, and can do something about. Um, and the third is risks that you didn't realize were there until it was too late. So what we're trying to do is avoid that third one. We want to, you know, if there's risks that you can't do anything about, like, for example, if you're investing in a market that has a large military base as its primary source of people coming to that area, that may be yeah. a really high risk decision if you're going to go into a 300 unit apartment complex and buy that, right? You have only one employer in the area. That's a risk you can't control. 
And so you have to make a decision on the front end. Am I willing to take that risk or not? For me, I don't want to invest in that kind of situation. <laughs> That's an external risk, right? Internal risks are things that we figure out like in the due diligence process. So we're going through looking at the property, seeing if the sewer line is good, seeing if the neighborhood makes sense for the investment strategy we have, seeing if there's property management that can handle it, uh, what we're doing, and so on and so forth. If there's anything in there, uh, the property management is wrong, say, we could maybe bring in a different property manager. Those are the things we can change. But the most dangerous risk is that stuff that you could have changed if you'd known about it but you don't, you, you didn't know about it. And so you're stuck with it. So you've had a lot of memorable and impactful stories on your podcast. Uh, I was struck recently by one, I believe it was a, a, a chopper pilot that did very high risk uh, maneuvers. And, and so what, what's the most impactful stories or uh, podcasts that you've had on talking about risk so that our users could get a taste for kind of how your podcast works? So, you know, I think that it's always stories. So what we try and talk about is is risk management as a decision-making thing, right? We talk about insurance as a tool. It's just one piece of how we manage risk. But when you talk about that helicopter pilot, that's a great example, right? Like when you were flying into a war zone, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and you're starting to land and the dust and dirt is coming up around your helicopter, you know, you don't have visibility anymore. What is it that you do to make sure that you can land that plane? You can ma manage the risks. So what one thing he said on my show that I really loved is before you even take off in that helicopter, you want to mitigate, you want to get rid of as much risk as possible. Can we go at night instead of during the day? Can we do, go when it's rained as opposed to when it hasn't rained for a long time, right? In the, mili the military is a great space for managing risk because there's so much of it. And so yeah. uh, in his story, it's like, how do we mitigate risk? How do we get rid of risks that we don't want to have? But at some point, you have to take action. Even if there is risk associated, you've got to lift that helicopter off the ground. You've got to go and try and get those folks out of the situation they're in, right? And so at that point, you're just managing risk. So when that that dust is coming up around him, his training, his capacity to know where the ground is and the fact that his tires are going to hit the ground, even though he can't see it, is his ability to manage risk. And there's just story after story after story. So every time I have someone on my show, I really dig into what are those stories? And that's a great example of one. So, so in your in opinion, opinion um, and, and you, I'm, I'm sure, sure you've talked, talked to a lot, lot of people who are very concerned, concerned about, about risk over the years. years. Uh, what, do what do you think, think is, is the biggest, biggest factor that organizes how, you know, you're a common, common person. person? We're not, We're not talking, talking about, you know, military special ops, but, but how does your common person kind of look at risk and, um, the factors, factors that, that, that you, you could, could give, give them, them to potentially, potentially influence how they manage it. So I think it's, you know, anytime we have a big word, a big thing, a big thing we, have we have to break it up into parcels to be able to really, to be able to really deal with it. And this comes, and this for, comes for, any for any entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. And so when I look at risk associated with my business, I have to break it up into parts. And so one thing I do is use quadrants of risk. So for me, there's physical risk, relationship risk. External, external risk, risk and, systems. and systems risk. 
And so now I've, and started, so now I've started to break, break risk into risk things, into things I can manage. Physical, physical, physical risk. Okay, that's the building. That's someone getting, that's someone getting injured. injured. That's my cars. That's all the physical stuff. Let's look at that. You know, when we're doing due diligence at the beginning again of a purchase process, we're using checklists and we're using systems to manage that particular group of risk. When we're dealing with relationships, I'm getting into a business relationship with someone right now. We know each other. We know each other. We're comfortable with each other. We still both have a lawyer who's helping us to put together an agreement so that if, so anything, that if anything happens in that business, in that business scenario, three, scenario months three months from now, six months from now, 12 months from now, we know exactly how it's going to play out and we can still stay friends even if something changed about our relationship. That's a way to manage risk. I just talk about external risk, deciding where to invest, right? That's a way to manage risk. And then systems is my favorite. In my insurance agency and the businesses that I run, all of them have really clear operations operations systems and we always hire an operations manager as one of those first five or six hires in our business because we want to make sure that the systems are in place because that is managing risk. So the question was, what can an everyday person do? And I think organizing your systems and being clear about the direction of your business is step one to managing risk. So let's talk about systems. So one of the biggest uh, steps that we've done around our business is create more data-driven systems, mm -hmm. systems to plan out uh, ROI, systems to develop potential risk, not only for us, but for our clients as well. So how do you think that the industry, particularly the insurance industry, has drastically changed um, with you know our new data-driven world? Is that something that um, you've seen implemented on a wide scale? Or do you think there's still a lot of steps to go? Oh, 100%. I mean, the insurance industry is in incredible flux right now. And a lot of that has to do with the additional data they have. In the past, when I had a you know large office building that I brought to an insurance company and I said, hey, this is a really good opportunity. I think we should insure this building. There was some data that we used. Their search certainly was actuarial numbers around how many <laughs> yes. losses office buildings had had across the country or in that state or even in that city. But there was absolutely a gut feeling conversation going on between me, the agent, and the person from the insurance company as we figure out the price that makes sense to offer insurance for. Now there's so much less gut in our industry because of the amount of data that's there. And so now when I go to insurance company, it's so much harder to get an, an uh, underwriter at the company to bend. It's like, hey, I, this is a great property. Yes, this type of property <laughs> has a lot of losses and I get it, but I, this is a really good property and here's why, because there is so much data. So I would say for the everyday consumer of insurance, the amount of data present may not be the best thing because insurance companies are realizing how, much, how many losses they have and really honing in on where the losses are coming from. And so for a asset class like uh, multifamily, uh, insurance companies are saying, hey, we've lost tons of money on this asset class for now 16 quarters in a row. So <laughs> more than five years, you know, four years. And um, we don't want to insure uh, multifamily. Uh, so fewer and fewer companies are wanting to insure multifamily. That creates a supply and de demand problem and the price is going up. So we have, you know, Texas is an extreme example right now. Uh, Florida was an extreme example about five or six years ago. Um, now Texas is following suit where we're seeing increases in premium at a renewal of 100%. 
in some wow. given scenarios. I'm not saying in every one scenario that's those are yeah. somewhat extreme examples. But if you underwrote a, a five year business plan with a 10% increase in insurance over the court, you know, each year, and you get a hundred percent increase in insurance, think about your NOI and what that does to it. So, um, you know, that's a lot in one answer to your question about how data is affecting insurance, but it certainly is affecting insurance. Look, I'm, I'm fine with diving deep uh, into the woods on all, the, all sorts of topics. We have a very educated niche audience and uh, it's fine. They're very data driven as a group. So that's not yeah. a problem. Um, in terms of going through and kind of understanding how that data factors in, I know you touched on multifamily and I was kind of curious what are the factors you think that influence risk in multifamily uh, the most? Because it's a very risky asset class in general. You've got mm-hmm. individuals. We're not talking about a, ma- a major corporate entity that's operating in the facility. Right. How how um, how have you seen that shape out, at least over the last five years? So, I mean, here are the things that affect insurance when it comes to multifamily in particular. Number one is the market. Where is this property? If we're talking about Harris County, Houston, Texas, um, you know, you might see an insurance price somewhere in the $1,500 a door. If you're in Pennsylvania, some parts of Pennsylvania, I have clients where it's $220 a door. So the market is going to create a span from $200 a door to $1,500 a door when it comes to insurance costs. That's drastically different, and the market is going to be the number one thing to pay attention to. The number two thing to pay attention to is the age of the property. I just had a property um, that I insured. Again, this is multifamily apartment complex. was built in 2022, was just leased up and moving from the development team into the uh, team that's going to have a long hold on it or stabilize it. Um, the, the premium on that property... For older buildings in the area, this was Georgia in this example, I was thinking, I generally see $500, $600 a door for insurance on a, a property that's, say, built in 1980, 1990, you know, 1990. The insurance on this one was $250 a door. So the age of the property is super key. If you're, you know, if your properties, if your buildings are 1990 or older, you're going to see a significantly higher premium than if they're 1990 or newer. If they're brand new, you're going to see a, a much lower premium as in that <laughs> yeah. example. So I would say the type of property is the set or the, the age of the property is the second one. Obviously, the occupancy is going to be a big deal. If you've got a vacant property, that's going to be a lot more expensive insurance wise than a completely leased up property. Um, the crime scores, things like that. So we're going to, you know, insurance companies are looking at the neighborhood and feeling like what, what's the, the possibility that vandalism, theft, things like that happen. And then the last one, and I think the one that I try and use the most to help folks over the, the line is just the quality of the, um, the, the sponsorship team and the, the, the team running the deal. So if I can show a risk management strategy to an insurance company, if I can say, look, I know this is a 1970s build. I know it's only 40 miles from the coast, um, but I want to show you the risk management plan, the actual business plan that I've worked with these folks to put together. I can tell you that while they have these risks and exposures here, they are a much higher quality investment team than others. I can get some insurance companies to say yes to that kind of situation where they would say no otherwise, and that generally gets you a better price. 
So I'd love to follow up on that risk management plan because look, location, 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 there's a lot of folks that can be out there saying, hey, I'd love to be somewhere else, but they're sitting on a building right now. And um, in this market, it's very hard to move for a lot of people with high interest rates. So what's what are those steps in terms of developing a risk management plan where they could potentially mitigate and lower their insurance costs? Absolutely. So I, th- I think, you know, connecting with an advisor who can help you do that is, is step one. But really, you know, a lot of what I, I use due diligence all the time because due diligence is such a great example of a clear risk management plan that investors look for because they know it's a big moment in their investing journey, right? So what does risk management look like at that due diligence period? Well, first you go out and you find the best set of checklists or the set, you know, the either your guru or someone else, or you've done it over the course of time and you've built your, your system, right? You have checklists, you have a process, you go through everything, you make sure you get leases, you make sure that you see all that, those things. So without getting way in the weeds of the details that, you know, that is a part of it is just analyzing a property and understanding where the exposures are. Are my stairs safe? Is my lighting safe? Are my exits safe? Have I chosen as a property owner to, you know, put stopgap stuff over the uh, stove or oven? So if it senses this, I don't remember what that's called. I'm <laughs> blanking on what that's called. But, you know, you could, I, I have apartment cl- uh, uh, clients who have that over every stove. Do you, I have a fire extinguisher in every property? Do I have lighting in my hallways? You know, this is all really simple stuff. But if you don't have a checklist and then if you don't ask your property management team, to review it on a quarterly basis, um, then you're going to have problems. And what I do with my clients is every six months, we review our risk management strategy that is essentially a checklist of things that we believe are important for our properties. And we make sure that, hey, if we had problems in the past, we're working on those. If we have units, uh, HVAC units, things like that, that need to be turned over, we're dealing with those. If we had safety issues, we're dealing with those. So I could go on and on about the details, but I think that gives your listeners a sense of, you know, your risk management strategy is essentially a checklist of things you either are going to do or are doing on a consistent basis to maintain a property, to keep it safe, and to avoid significant claims either by, you know, physical damage or by someone tripping and falling and hiring a personal injury attorney and suing you for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Look, I think that very much does. Um, I, I, I'm going to say from my perspective as somebody who, you know, we have 50 properties under management right now. This really a lot of times falls on the shoulders of your asset management team. And uh, if, if you don't have an experienced team, uh, you need to go out and hire a consultant and a specialist to go out there and do it because you're leaving money on the table. If not on the leasing side, on the insurance side, right? So um in, in terms of, of going down that road, um, one of the things that I know our asset managers have really struggled with in the past, you know, g- gosh knows, the last three or four years have been crazy with COVID. Um, mm-hmm. it, how has COVID affected the insurance market um, in terms of properties? Because from our end, we've seen definitely a little bit of craziness, but um, it certainly could be managed. I- I'm curious on the insurance side, what have you seen? I mean, COVID had a pretty limited uh, effect as compared to, say, climate change, which is having an incredible effect. I think, you know, one of the specific things that happened early in COVID was, is our closures associated with COVID 
covered on your insurance policy. Now, for real estate investors, not quite as a big, well, it was certainly retail and office investors where you know you thought you had an occupancy of a certain kind and then suddenly you don't have that anymore because um, you're, sorry, you don't have that anymore because you know people aren't in the office anymore or you're not having retail exposure. The answer to that question is a resounding no. Your insurance policy does not have coverage for closures associated with COVID. And there were certain, a fair amount of co- court cases uh, that played <laughs> that out. Um, if, it, you know, if, if COVID had been covered by insurance, the insurance industry would have crashed and we wouldn't have an insurance industry anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so not as much COVID. What we're seeing a, a lot is really the effect of, of, of climate change, the increase of high level storms. Um, in the past, you would expect to have a, a category one type storm come through um, a given space once every, or even just the United States, once every five years, you know, three to five years, we would see those really high level storms coming through. Over the ca- past four years, we've had one every single year. Um, you can say whatever you want about where that's coming from, but that's an actual result that's happening and insurance companies are exposed the freeze of 2021, the February freeze of 2021 in Texas, where the power grid went down. Um, oh, yeah. The largest property claim in the history of the world uh, was, you know, that claim significantly larger than any other claim. That's why we're having what's going on in Texas with property losses right now. So COVID, not a huge effect on the insurance world, um, but certainly other things are playing in. So I, I want to touch back on the, uh, the on climate change and how it's affecting insurance, but I just have a funny little quirk with uh, the Texas uh, freeze. Our website has a little passage about um, pipes freezing and how to deal with it for commercial properties. Yeah, and we saw website traffic increase one thousand yeah. percent for, for for about five days during the Texas freeze, and I was getting calls nonstop from Texas property managers saying, I've never seen pipes freeze before. What do you do? And being a lifelong Midwesterner, uh, there were some easy answers on my end. But yeah. um, in terms of in terms of climate change and how that's affected uh, the, the, the markets and, and the insurance markets, I, I, I wanted to dive into, are there meaningful steps that we can take as uh, property owners or investors, besides maybe saying, hey, we don't want to buy that, that house right on the beach in Florida? Um, are, are there steps that folks can take or is it mostly location, location, location? It's a great question. I, I mean, Neil Bawa came on my show and you're, you're data driven. I don't know if you've had him on. He's very data driven. And he talked about climate change and he said, it doesn't matter what your opinion is about climate change. If the population believes that a given market is going to be affected by climate change, as an investor, you have to respond to that. Because the market is going to change. It's sort of like, you know, the stock market. When someone gets scared by, say, a bank crashing, you know, other things come from that. It's not necessarily that there's any problem with regional banks at all. But people get scared. They feel a feeling and they start to create a behavior associated with that feeling. And now you as an investor have to respond to that. And I think that's true in the commercial real estate world as well. So when you're investing in an area, really understanding people's perception 
of climate change around that space is super important. As far as what you can do for your properties as an investor, it comes back to that strategy. You know, if you're if you're keeping your properties up, if you're making sure that your roofs are replaced when necessary, that you don't have 30 year old roofs on a bunch of properties. Um, if you're creating those safety things around your property, once you own a property in a heavy uh, hail storm area, you own it, right? And uh, I think that you just have to do the things you can to thoughtfully use your capital to invest in a property in a way where you don't end up with, you know, million dollar losses and things of that nature. So uh, you're a Midwesterner. I can see you're a Hoosier. Um, yeah. One of the things, you know, that we can't control where tornadoes go, but one of the things that affects a lot of Midwestern properties is flooding. And so yeah. I was curious um, if you've seen any uh, uh, enhanced um, technology or enhanced um, uh, moves towards more permeable surfaces on buildings. And if that's a, a factor that that's maybe uh you know, something that we might see in the commercial space going forward. You know, I haven't seen it. I can speak from the insurance side on flooding as far as on, you know, outfitting properties to navigate flood, especially properties that are maybe in lower areas. I, I have not seen a ton, nor could I speak from an expert perspective on it. What I do see with a lot of flood from an investor perspective is really how insurance navigates that. And just realizing when you're investing in a property, you know, if it's in a high risk flood zone, your lender is going to require you to carry flood insurance. And a lot of times that's going to double your insurance costs. You know? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. A, a high risk flood zone is going to give you expensive flood insurance and your lender <laughs> is going to require you to do it. So that's back to that due diligence, right? If you didn't notice that a property was in a flood zone, you put in you know, $500 a door for your insurance costs and now you're getting close to closing and your lender is telling you, hey, by the way, you have to have flood insurance. And your insurance agent missed it, which is a problem if they did. Um, but now you've got $1,000 a door and your NOI, you know, your cap rate just went down, your NOI went down, everything goes down uh, because of that mistake. So I think flood is something that we're seeing more of. And so if you see that a property is in a high risk zone, there's more to think about there. Um, but from a, most of the time, what investors care about or is, do I have to carry flood insurance or not? And I would yeah. say probably too many investors, uh, against my advice, choose not to fl carry flood insurance if they're not required to by their lender. Well, I, I would I would uh, strongly disagree with those folks that uh, that think that uh, that's the case. I know in our market, there's a building that I could almost see out my window if I lowered my or if I raised my blinds, and uh, that building um, always holds it out to be. Uh, you know, a couple cents lower than other buildings in the market or even closer to a dollar. And uh, mm -hmm. the reason why is it's in a floodplain and they require right. tenants to, to to take that flood insurance on themselves. And so um, it, if you're not working with a, a good agent or a, a good um, insurance broker um, who has a good idea about how floodplains work and how flood insurance works, you know, you're missing out. So uh, on terms of missing out, we don't want to miss out on the, the most important part of the podcast. And that's the podcast where we really get to know you. And um, it definitely corresponds to your shirt. Um, it's what we call our final four. And so um, I'll, I'll say this, my, my, my step-grandfather is a Hoosier and he's a, he's a diehard Hoosier. So they've made a couple trips. Um, myself, uh, I, I went to St. Mary's College of Maryland and uh, 
we have we've made a couple trips in the Maryland world a couple times, but Absolutely. certainly my tiny little state school has not. So, um, in in terms of uh, the final four, our favorite question uh, or one of our favorite questions that we like to ask is, where do you see the future of commercial insurance going? Because you're better situated than most to to inform us. And uh, what do you see maybe five or 10 years out? That's a great question. And I think for any investor, you know, when you're looking at that particular line item, understanding the answer is key. I mean, we are in uh, a really, really hard market right now, which means uh, insurance companies are not interested in growing in the way they were five years ago. And so they want to shrink in certain markets, property, real estate being one of those markets. And so we have a supply and demand issue. And so that's that's what puts us in a hard market, which is means we're seeing big increases in premium. Do I think two years down the road that turns around and we go back to where we were even two years ago? Unfortunately, that's just not how it works, right? It doesn't go all the way back after any hard market. And so what I think I see from the commercial insurance market is, you know, we're, it's going to be tough for a couple of years. I think if you're an owner, you have to expect, especially if you're in a high risk area, in the 10 to 20% rate increases uh, as a part of what you're figuring into your numbers. Um, I think it will settle down. I think insurance companies will come back out. The real estate market is obviously a huge place and insurance companies can make lots of money if they're not losing it. Um, so I think that I see things settling down in the next few years and then it's just really going to be all about this this whole climate change thing or the change in uh, the amount of claims happening from large losses. At some point, does the government have to get involved like they do in flood insurance? Or there's just lots of things that happen there. Um, so commercial insurance is a fascinating world, as boring as it sounds. Um, and I think it will continue to be fascinating in the commercial real estate world uh, over the course of the next few years. But I do think it'll settle in the, uh, the next year or so. Well, as boring as it sounds, commercial insurance is not only a uh, a critical but a expensive and important part of uh, the insurance world. So we're happy to have you on. Um, in terms of in terms of going on and moving on to another favorite question of mine, we've looked forward. Now it's time to look back. So, yeah. Jeremy, looking back and saying, if you had a chance to talk to your high school self as as they're leaving. Uh, what would be you know your your one minute spiel your one minute little bit of advice you could give? It's funny I remember being 21 in college and being like, man, when I'm 25, I'm gonna have <laughs> it all figured out. I'm so excited to have it all figured out when I'm 25, you know. And I'm 46 now, and I still don't have it all figured out. I, I think be clear in your approach, in your systems, and your ethics. Know what it is you're going after, and continue to systematically go after it in a way that is authentic and speaks to people at, at the place they're at. I think that I was fortunate enough to see that at the beginning of starting this insurance agency. Maybe it's just coming from being a teacher or whatever and just really stick to that. And um, I think that's what I would say to my younger self. And I, I feel fortunate to be living that in some way um, currently. Well, teachers are always a uh, uh, have an adept uh, sense of going to folks where they're at because they have such usually a diverse group of folks that come into their classroom every day. So I'm not too surprised on that. Um, I, I can say that's very much the case from uh, my perspective. I've got a brother-in-law who's a teacher down in South Louisiana and phenomenal guy, uh, very adept at talking to anybody and, and really getting to know folks. 
So um, on that note of getting to know folks, um, one of the fo- ways that we like to get to know folks is to figure out what they're reading. And um, I see some books behind you. Um, I'm curious if there's a book that has influenced you in the insurance world, in the business world, in the real estate world, and uh, if you could provide that to our listeners. You know, I'll go with the, the two. One that's a real estate book and one that's a marketing. And, um, you know, I, I went on vacation a few years ago and took with me um, both Brian Burke and Hunter Thompson's books on syndication. Just on okay. All right. Syndication. Yeah. And I couldn't believe how sucked into these books I got. I mean, this is very like dry in the weeds stuff. If you've read either of those books, it's just kind of like waterfalls and cap rates <laughs> and NOI and IRR. And, you know, it's like I was just so fascinating, fascinated by these, this idea of passive investor. And I am a, I am a passive investor as well. Um, and so those books would be ones I would point out every single time. And then from a marketing perspective, no matter what kind of business you have, Jay Baer is an author who's a friend of mine and one of the best marketing authors out there. His books, Talk Triggers and Hug Your Haters and Utility, um, all really, really good books on just how to speak to your ideal audience in an authentic way, in a way that they don't forget about you when it's time to make a purchasing decision. Great books. Um... So on that note, we're getting to um, our second to last question, our last question, the final four. And this is the most important question of the podcast. The whole reason why we create the podcast is to find great people and, and voices that are influencing commercial real estate. You're a great voice. And luckily, we found you or, or maybe even you found us um, in terms of in terms of a voice that we should reach out to next and have on the podcast. Who would you recommend? One of my favorite real estate investors is Maurice Philogene. He's well known on LinkedIn if you're not over there, part of Quattro Capital. All those folks over at Quattro are really good at what they're doing. But Mo is so is so great because, you know, he started from he was a police officer, he worked in the FBI, he worked a corporate job. He's been to I think 90 countries. He has <laughs> wow. just like this incredible <laughs> story and this incredible life. Uh, he came on my podcast a few years ago and Uh, really hadn't talked publicly about his five freedoms before. And we got in a conversation about his five freedoms and what they mean to him and how he's built them in his life. And uh, it was inspiring to me. Now it's inspiring to many, many more people as he's continued to tell that story. Uh, So I would go follow Mo on LinkedIn and certainly have him on your show if you haven't done so already. Well, we got to reach out to Mo. Um, So if someone wants to reach out to you going forward, what would be the best way to get in contact? Sure. So you can listen to our show. It's called the Managing Commercial Real Estate Risk Podcast. Um, or if you are into the multifamily side, we have a tool at our website. It's shineinsurance.com slash ballpark. And you can just go to that, uh, answer nine yes or no questions, and you'll immediately get an insurance ballpark for your underwriting. Of course, it's just as pencil numbers right at the beginning, but at least <laughs> it gives you something uh, where you don't have to wait two weeks for an insurance agent to get you a quote. Just go over to uh, shineinsurance.com slash ballpark and you can get those numbers right away. Jeremy, that's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today and we hope to have you on sometime soon in the future. Absolutely, Gordon. It was a pleasure. Thanks again to Jeremy. We appreciate his insights. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, five-star rating or review. Your comments, interactions and subscriptions truly matter and help us continue to provide quality guests. 
You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gordon Lamphere with The Real Finds Podcast. Thank you for listening.